Good evening. You are listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney. Joining me today are almost all the main panel. We couldn't quite get Bruce, but we do have Troy Goodfellow. Troy, welcome to the show. It's great to be back again. And we also welcome back Julian Murdoch. Julian, it's been forever. It has been, but I've finally played something relevant. Yay! Yay! You, you played our lot of Hearthstone, and that was relevant. We had that's, a good show that's on true. that. That was fun. Julian and I have not been together on a podcast, though. For a in, very long time. Age. That is true. Yeah, it'd be nice someday we will get all four of us in the same place like twice a month or something. But yeah, that, yeah, that'll never talk. happen. Crazy Okay, talk. well, I am a dreamer, okay? Yeah. However, we did come together this week to talk about a game that uh, has a few things going for it. One is it's accessible and fast enough that we could all just sort of dive right into it without having to sort of dedicate ourselves to studying it. And uh, also, I think it's a pretty damn good war game. Today we're talking about Ultimate General Gettysburg, which is on Steam Early Access for $10. And it is from Game Labs. Uh, And if I'm not mistaken, it also has a little bit of a Total War connection in that the uh, famous Total War modder Darth Maud... is involved with this game. So if you played the Total War games, particularly Napoleon, uh, the Darth Mod uh, mods were always kind of hotly anticipated, in part because of the really sweet period uniforms, but also <laughs> that he tended to introduce some much-needed um, historical accuracy and a f- little more, little more accuracy in the way units behaved uh, to the Total War series. So here is uh, here is his attempt at creating a light war game and so far i'd have to say it's it's pretty damn successful in a lot of ways uh julian why don't you you know tell us a little bit about your time with the game and you know maybe explain what exactly this is sure so so the the like virtually every game that's put gettysburg in the title it's trying to play through those three fateful days in july when more american men and women lost their lives than in any other battle uh in american history so it's a a point in time that gets the war game treatment a lot uh and and we've talked i can't remember what the last gettysburg game we talked about was but we i was on the last show we did talking about gettysburg uh which was maybe a year and a half ago uh and you know it has all the things one would expect right historically accurate maps relatively historically accurate uh troop counts and positions what this game does though is it really reduces the complexity level down to effectively just positioning. I mean, there are a few other little things that you can do, um, but for the most part, you're giving your units in their quasi-historically accurate locations for the time of day on the day that you're playing a particular piece of the Gettysburg uh, battle. And really, all you're doing is directing them where to be when. Uh, And so if you want them in cover, you have got to move them into the trees or move them into the town. Um, If you want, uh, you know, you want to get your artillery on the hill, you drag it up to the hill and point it vaguely in the right direction. Um, I'm slightly oversimplifying, but really not very much. Um, You can, you know, you can have a unit charge or run or walk. You can have uh, your cannons use different kinds of shot. But other than that, you're really just focused on positioning. Um, and that sounds like there's not all that much going on here. But it turns out if, if you've played very much Civil War on the tabletop, like actually pushing the little figures around with the wooden sticks, um, it, it often is all about positioning. The thing I found punishing about this in a very satisfying way is this game's modeling of morale is is it just makes you realize how fragile everything is because you can take a 2000 unit 
uh, 2,000 strong unit, and you make an ill-considered charge out of the woods into open fields, and those guys turn around and run screaming for a mile back down the other way before they'll even think about turning around. So, so the positioning really matters, and um, I've I've really enjoyed it. I'm I'm finding it. It's obviously incredibly accessible. You don't. There's no manual that I saw. There's no real tutorial. You can just get in and start dragging stuff around, and it's fun. I think there's 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 a few things I really like. Obviously, this game is also I think aimed at eventually being an uh, iPad game, and so one of the things I really love is it just has this wonderful like click and drag uh, interface where you just sort of like you can grab a unit and trace its line of march across the map just right there. So it can sort of like you know turn and avoid most of the fighting, and then you appear, like choose how a wheel into battle. It's it's really nice to be able to do that. Um, it, it looks fantastic, and yeah, to your point about morale. Uh, this really is there's there's two values really that determine what a unit's going to be capable of doing in combat and the first is morale which is their willingness just to stand there at all and then there's also condition which seems to be tied to just how effective they're going to be how much you know how much like how much physical exhaustion you're dealing with how much you know how how effective is their firepower going to be um and so the morale thing is this very fragile thing but it's also quicker to bounce back uh the other value is condition which gets depleted by you know things like combat moving through rough terrain uh, but that's much harder to build up and so this entire game it's interesting how you know the Civil War is like modeled in so many different ways and each each game sort of takes a slightly different take on it I think you know Sid Meier's Gettysburg had, had this idea of everything's about uh, you know what are the factors keeping troops in line? You know, how experienced are they? What's the terrain? Do they have support on either side? Are the people backing up them up? Is there a general nearby? This uh, simplifies that a little bit, but it also gets at this idea that the units themselves kind of have this finite lifespan for battle. And you need to be, you need to have a moment, like you need to choose a moment when to commit them. And you also need to be thinking about either how you're going to get them out of there or when you're just going to have to accept that they're spent and watch that part of your line break. And right. I think that's kind of an interesting calculation this game forces you to make. Well, one of the things that's so interesting, I, I've been playing exclusively on the union side. Um, so yeah, me too. So far. Um, and we, one of the things that's so interesting about strategically about Gettysburg is the sort of after day one formation, right? I mean, day, day one, you know, it's effectively a pitched battle that the Union loses and they forced to retreat south of Gettysburg. Um, and they end up in the sort of classically described fishhook formation around the high ground. And it's an odd formation. I think probably I can imagine being a commander on the ground going, what the hell are you thinking? Um, but what Meade was doing there was creating this ability to have this internal line of resupply back and forth between effectively three fronts on day two. Um, and, you know, when things got when things went very nastily on day two in the sort of south uh western part of the battlefield he was able to do the sort of continuous resupply of those fresh troops and this is one of the few gettysburg games that i've played where i sort of feel like i'm doing that like it, yeah. it, it's really letting me sort of run guys back and forth across the field um it takes a few uh, if, a few sort of creative licenses with terrain here and there and things like that but it's all relatively historically accurate nobody knows exactly what happened in every unit on the field there none of us were there they weren't videotaping, right? So what we have in our story of how the battle unfolded is just a lot of, 
you know, firsthand accounts written down later. Um, and people, historians have sort of patched this together. But that that idea of creating this sort of patchwork resupply network on the union side um, really does feel very well captured. And, and that idea of like moving fresh troops in to replace ones that really need to go stand by HQ and recover morale for a while um, feels very real. What the, the thing that struck me about this game, I think, last week is just how big this battlefield is. Um, and it really touched on this whole resupply and reinforcement thing you guys are talking about. Uh, a couple of days ago, I was playing it through again and from the Union side, and just everything came together on day one. So I had an epic victory, like an epic victory, they call it. So I, I chased them all. I chased the Rebs back. I took their ridge. I was kicking out. I thought, great, no problem. Except then it rolls around to the second part of day one, and my guys are too goddamn far away. They're too far from reinforcement points. They're all stretched out, right? Yeah. They're too stretched out. They're too far from. They're, they're in a nice little box area, but they have wave after wave of Confederate soldiers coming in. It's like, well, shit, this epic victory, I can't just pump my fist and win with that because I wasn't thinking about, well, what happens when the clock turns over? Right. And I have to march these guys all the way from Gettysburg all the way there. So you see this slow breakdown and trying to hold this position and just realizing you can't because you have I hadn't thought about uh, what this actually meant in the game terms of these people are going to be tired and you're going to lose them all and I almost did I eventually had to pull back and retreat and had them run like hell which they don't like to do it. they don't like to run these guys do not they like do to not. run <laughs> and they were hightailing it back uh, to land to territory they'd just pushed off from a few hours before. And so it has a really great feel of what you think a 19th century battle, the mistake a 19th century general would make. And mine was just getting way too far out in front of where the three placements were coming right. from. They were just going to get destroyed if I didn't adjust for that. So the way that even that, that very small corner of day one the battlefield is pretty damn huge. I mean, it fills up nicely, but you feel every single step all the way. This is an interesting case of using a slightly uh, larger scale uh, ends up making the game feel a bit bigger. Because you don't have individual regiments on the battlefield, your smallest unit is a brigade. Uh, because the map is actually kind of compact, like it doesn't take that, like, it doesn't take that many, like, you know, you don't scroll that far before you've seen the entire battlefield of Gettysburg, right? Like the entire thing is kind of, um, you know, easy, easy to see, easy to you know take it all in in a couple glances, and because of that, it does impart this sense of distance that a lot of games don't have. Where, for me, you, you talk about the second day scenarios, Julian, and for me, this is a lot where a lot of Gettysburg games break down because they zoom in so narrowly on things like the fight in the wheat field and Devil's Den, right? Wait, Devil's Den, right? I mean, that's yeah. That, I, I think, I mean, this is one of, you guys have all done way more reading historical, historically on, on Wargaming. This is one of the few areas where I've actually done tons of reading. And there's always this obsessive focus with, you know, depending on who you're reading, sort of the union mistakes in the lower left-hand corner of the map, right? This overcommitment to Devil's Den and Round Top and, and sort of the sort of unnecessariness of a lot of that, you know, that sort of valley of death where they're going back and forth and back and forth kind of over pointless ground compared to what else they needed to get accomplished. And that's how Meade ends up, you know, over committing and then leaving his right flank, et cetera, and so on. There's an almost obsession with that when it's actually a fairly insignificant part of the overall battle. And so I think a lot of war games get really caught up in that because it was very bloody and a lot was going on there. Well, 
and also I think the scenarios that tends to generate tend not to be very interesting. Like the entire, the only reason the left flank becomes interesting that day is because there's that union blunder where um was it Sykes moves off the round tops and into the wheat field, right? And, all and of a it's you just got like this bulge problem, yeah, yeah. And the Confederates just hammer it, and the Confederates suddenly have this you know one chance to take the round tops and maybe turn the Union flank. Though obviously there were there are other options that the Union could play, but what ends up happening is in those scenarios. It turns into, if you're the Confederate, just kind of feeding units into this meat grinder. And if you're the Union, just trying to keep fresh troops at the other end of the meat grinder shooting down from Devil's Den right. and Well, and also because you know what happened, depending on the game, a lot of times it's simply don't make the dumbass mistake that right. Sykes made. Right. But because of, this, because of this scale, suddenly you do have that sort of sense that it's almost like Meade's eye view, right? Where like you, you have the sense like... Okay, my left flank is now no longer this isolated battlefield that's sort of just off doing its own thing. If I'm going to win this fight here, I need to be drawing resources all the way from like Culp's Hill and the other end of the Union line, and I need to be pulling those guys across. Right, and that's very much and open that up. And, and like the best stories I've read of, or the ones that I most appreciate about Gettysburg, really are that Meade's eye view, like not the sort of down in the trenches and you know what's his name, you know, deciding to start the cannon barrage and pick its charge, like like that sort of personal view which almost gets to be like historical novella style i love the sort of mead's eye view of things where he's actually making incredibly smart decisions and actually second guessing lee for the first time i mean those are really cool broad strategic things and what i found myself doing in this game uh, is really obsessing about the stuff that i thought was important like 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 Culp's Hill to me is like one of the critical pieces of the battlefield, yes. and and it's sort of where yeah. where where you know where the Union almost lost it, right? Because they underdefended the southern edge of the Culp's Hill, and then it goes back and and playing this game, that tension of like, well, how many troops do I you know do I actually commit to holding Culp's Hill versus resupplying the lower left, et cetera. I felt really good. Like a lot, very few Civil War games have really captured that sense to me. A lot of this, and this is a game that's really about time, and one of the questions I'm always asking myself with every unit is, can it last just a little bit longer? I can't supply it quite yet. So a lot of it is we is letting you guys take the pounding because you're the, you're the Iron Brigade. You know, I, I can trust you guys, right? And you're not going to disappear on me, right? And there's this entire, I mean, they have the, 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 con, the condition, the morale. There's the ammo information. Well, let's you know how fast they're loading, how quickly they're loading, how that supply's holding up. And so much of the game is making these general decisions of I can't be everywhere at once a lot what were the mistakes Meade made then I won't be making them and just praying and hoping to God that one unit or one flank is willing to take one more charge just one more charge guys and eventually the reinforcements are coming and just like uh, Sid Meier's Gettysburg the reinforcements that arrive um, through day one and day two a lot of that is is on a variable timer so you're not sure when things are going to show up. And this is especially important for the Confederates uh, in the later part of the in the uh, later part of the battle, and crucial for the Union uh, in day one and early day two. And a lot of it is just daring your men and daring yourself to take those risks right. because the positioning matters and the timing matters, and just this whole great. 
and really, it's just so much fun playing with all of these challenges and possibilities. I'll play through about play through like day one or day two. Then I'll go back and I'll play it again and try different things with it. Right. And but, kill my man in new ways. But that's part of what's really cool about this is that you know most yeah, most Gettysburg games let you muck with things, right? Like, oh, okay, well, I'm not going to run Sykes and Sedgwick down to the left because that was that didn't work out, so I'll try it this way. Which is the whole reason we play war games, right? Is to have that second guessing Monday morning quarterback experience. This game, I love the way they break each sort of component of the battle. Um, and I will admit that I've restarted several times, but I've never played all the way through to the end. So you guys can tell me how it ends. Yep. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure I know how it ends, but you tell me how your versions end. Um, but it lets you, like, if you have sort of one of these sort of epic victories, which were in fact, you know, draws on the battlefield or actually small defeats on the battlefield, like day one, um, you actually have the opportunity to do stuff that's completely off the script. Like, so, I mean, I had, um, in the last game that I was playing, I was sort of at the end of day one and had just had this dominant victory. You know, I'd managed to hang on to the town, you know, uh, Cemetery Hill was just, you know, way in my rear view mirror. I didn't have to think about it. Um, and so it gave me the option of basically launching a directed attack way out on the West hand side. I can't remember even what it's called. It's Penders Hill or something like that. Um, you know, which which was not even in the battle, right? It's way off the western edge of the map. And so I got to have this whole, like, what-if scenario with troops that really should have been in the fish hook in the real world, but now they're way over here on the side. That was really cool, right? And it was really well-timed out, right? You know, the, the reinforcements that actually showed up on day two showed up over there uh, instead. And it was, it was super fun. I lost miserably, right? There's a reason why things tend to go the way they went in the real world, but... Um, but that was super cool. How does the the later parts well, we should, of it play out? Well, first we should probably talk about that and explain that, you know, at certain points after you finish a part of a day, it rolls over to the next part of the scenario where sometimes you're given a choice. And it's important that listeners know this, a choice of what your strategy will be. Like you got this great grand attack. Like I, I fought a draw on the first half of day one. They gave me three options of, okay, where do you want your troops What's their focus going to be? And this affected reinforcement timing, affected posture. I'm not sure if it affected the, conser- the Confederate dispositions, but so where, what do you want your focus to be? And you'll always get that. I'm not quite sure when that pops up or what the triggers are, but it did on that draw. For my epic victory, I didn't get any options at all. I was told, look, you kicked the Confederate ass, and now here's where they're coming, so you be ready. Hmm. So I didn't need any choice at all. So I'm wondering what the triggers are for these various choices, but they do pop up from time to time. And I think that's a really great way to make this battle come alive in new and interesting and dramatic ways that make it kind of a war game, a real live war game kit where you're playing, you're not just playing Gettysburg, you're playing out a fictional Gettysburg uh, in really neat and interesting ways because it does have this branching possibility. Um, I'm not sure what the cues are or the triggers are, but so if you're interested in, so listeners, if you're interested in like storytelling in your war games, uh, this is, I think, a great way to do it. It does sort of seem like um, at the extremes of outcomes, things tend to narrow, right? Because I had one game where uh, things did not go so well for the Union. Um, they, In fact, they went profoundly badly for the Union. And uh, so at the end, I had a scenario I'd never seen before, uh, which was basically the, the Union trying to attack north up along Cemetery Ridge, I think, and Seminary Ridge simultaneously. So like this broad push across the front to try to dislodge the Confederates. Um, and I wasn't given an option for that. I think it was just like, 
And that was yep, like, here's that was the, like instead of Pickett's charge on rolling. Right. Yeah. Cause the union held no ground because right. I botched it. Uh, so I basically had to try to retake all of Gettysburg now in one last roll of the dice, uh, which didn't go well. <laughs> I, I uh, say, and, how'd that go for you, Rob? <laughs> uh, not, not so good. Uh, not so good. I didn't have, uh, didn't have enough troops and my cannons had no high ground. So I had no line of sight. Um, but, and then I had the same experience you did Troy where, um, yeah, the Union get the like epic victory on day one, and even managed to take like Hare's Ridge. Yeah, um, it's just like okay, well, I guess try to keep it going. And I think that's clever because actually, as you discovered, that scenario is a bit of a trap, right? Yep. Where even though you kicked ass on the first day, uh, there's still like you know on the first day the Confederates are basically coming from three distinct distinct points on the compass, and the further out you extend, the more dangerous that becomes. You can't defend the north. You, you push too far west, you can't defend yeah. the north, and you're completely overwhelmed. And, and you know, one of the things that, if, if I have some criticism of this game, you know, obviously, we've all played a lot of Gettysburg. We already know, you know, the terrain pretty well, right? Yeah. You know, you don't want to stand around in the peach orchard all day. I mean, we, we, we get some of the basics here. I, you know, the game does model line of sight and it does model, uh, you know, having height advantage and you can hold down units and sort of see where they show. I wish it did it better because yeah. it's very easy to look at that map and say, why am I sitting here like cowering on Cemetery Hill and Culp's Hill and Cemetery Ridge? Like, why am I not down in the city? And the answer, if you look at like a 3D Google map of it, is because it's a freaking killing zone from all the high ground around it, right? You don't want to be standing down there like on the edges at the bottom of Seminary Ridge and at the, really, on the outskirts of Gettysburg. It's just a, it's a death zone. And so that there's because it doesn't really convey that information that well. I mean, it's in there. It's very yeah. easy to just sort of find yourself trapped in open ground, um, having missed the cues. Is what it, I found. It is early access, so we're going to say to remind our listeners, this is an early access game, and things are being changed quite a bit, which is uh, shocking because I've been playing the game. Done. Like, what are they? What are they adding to it? Well, there's. I've had a few bugs pop up. Like all of a sudden, my units just will not follow instructions. Uh, and the further you go along, like the day one scenarios are really polished and really complete, and that like chain of uh, that chain of scenarios is really well laid out. The further you go along, the more tenuous it all becomes, uh, okay. and it doesn't seem like the day three stuff is really fleshed out at all. Like it ends with See, like I a, haven't played most of the day three stuff. I've been playing the first two days over and over again because to me that's I mean, the even, most interesting part. Even just like in the last week, uh, they patched in um, better modeling of defensive positioning like oh standing across a stream or behind a fence you're actually feeling better you have more cover it's harder to cross they were actually apparently quite easy to cross with not a lot of penalties uh, uh, okay. so that's being added in so i'm and there are you know there are tons of interface things uh that should probably uh, be at like like you say you know clarity of line of sight and there should be there should be a mini map especially right. when it gets pretty big but uh, and, and, but you're right, Julian. It is quite for a, for a ten dollar early access war game. Because guys, this is ten dollars. I put ten uh, hours into it. Like crazy, it, like it's, it's crazy good for what you're getting. And and you know, we were talking about this being targeted eventually towards iPad, which makes a ton of sense. Yeah. Um, you know, the game that this, which I think we've talked about, that that this feels the most like, oddly, is a game called Autumn Dynasty, which was that sort of quasi-Asian yeah. drag, you know, drag your units through the fields kind of thing, but it was sort of on a stylized Asian map. Um, it actually feels quite similar to that in the sense that the positioning and, the, and how you move your units. So uh, I can definitely see it playing well on that, although I already feel like I need more screen 
on this, you know, so playing it on a smaller screen is going to be troubling, I think. Yeah, that's, I'm, I'm wondering how they're going to deal with the scale uh, of the map on the app. I mean, the interface is so simple. It does have that whole drag and touch. There, there is no uh, interface. interface I mean, that's yeah, one of the things I, mean, I loved yeah, about right. it is it's like playing yeah. a first person shooter with no HUD, right? It's just like, it's just units on a field and you're dragging them around. Yeah, and just to the point of, like, on the one hand, I do wish it showed off terrain effects a little better. Um, like, it can be difficult to tell, like, why is one battery over here able to shoot, you know, all the way across the map? And a few feet away, the other battery can't engage because it's firing into a hillside. It can't see. And you can't really, like, grok that just from, like, glancing at the map. Uh, no, I always. wish it was just more dramatic. Like, I wish when you held it down, it didn't just, like, dim the lights. I wish it just went, like, red and blue. Anything that's blue, they can see. You know, yeah. Well, yeah, but I I do like though that dim the lights uh, touch where if you click on a unit, um, really quickly, the map just goes dark as it shows all the play all the places that are not in that unit's line of sight go dark, and then the places it can see are illuminated. That's a pretty cool effect, and I've seen some games uh, really stumble with that. Uh, so it, it is a nifty thing. I do think it could be uh, it could be made a little more readable uh, than it is, but. So having having put a fair bit of time into it though, so here here we come to sort of the, the like the war gamer caveats, right? And I kind of hate myself for <laughs> even like going in this direction hey, because it's, it's, it's early access. If they're listening, they can take they this can as it. constructive but, criticism. But I'm not sure they should. That's the thing. Okay, like I right. might be I might be doing that classic war gamer thing where I'm like, wouldn't it be cool? You're if, finding something, and then I suggest right. something that will completely fuck up the game, right? Like, well, like, hey, like the be... one that came up to mind for me was formation. Like, there's no control over, like, whether or not you've got your yep. skirmishers in a line, whether you've got them, you know, configured for road running. I mean, just stuff sort of happens. They change configuration based on the terrain they're in, sort of. Um, but but it's there's not compared to a lot of other games. You don't have like this fine control over formation and positioning, and even even managing facing can be a little bit wonky. Facing Which would is be con- nice. Is confusing because the AI seems to march its units in Perfectly. nice elegant yeah. little columns, and here I am, you know, working with a you know, two fingered hand <laughs> trying to. <laughs> Yeah, get my like guys being able to actually the right select direction. the unit and use the arrow keys to rotate the unit, things like that. But then again, I'm sort of with you, Rob. Part of what's so nice here is like I sat down with my son who had never played a historical war game before, and he was playing right along with me. We he'd play the mouse for a while, I'd take a little mouse for a while, and then we, you know, it was super easy to do that with a 10 year old because it's all right there. Yeah, and, and, and that's the thing is it reminds me in a lot of good ways of Sid's Gettysburg, which just you know. The the weird thing is though, compared to this, Sid Meier's Gettysburg is actually really sophisticated and co- complex. Yes, uh, this is this is even simpler than that. This is more like Sid's Pirates, but with Civil War. Uh, but it's but it's really good. It, it nails all the right beats. I just found myself at odd moments, like little things like the fact that your units like morale um, just kind of gets whittled down. There were times I found myself wishing that the game maybe broke that down a little more than it does. Like, I can't tell, like, 
is my unit getting any kind of bonus from the fact that it's buddies or to the left and the right of it? Like, I know it's in good cover and that's helping, but I would kind of like some sense of like how much mutual support, how much like stick to itiveness uh, do my units have in this line of battle? I have no idea. Um, it's just, you know, I got to kind of keep an eye on that little morale bar. And when it hits, you know, low, it's time to start worrying. And I found myself wishing that it were a little more like, um, you know, Sid's Gettysburg, where you have, you always have the sense of why are your units behaving this way? Why are they deciding they've had enough? What exactly do generals do? That's what I might was I was puzzling for a long time. Yeah, and, and do they add? Do they add morale? Do they make commands move I think faster? They, I think they make morale a lot less uh, a road far slower. Yeah, uh, and because think, when I've had, I think they're supposed to in the facts. It's supposed to help morale um, improve faster. But I've definitely, I mean, speaking of bugs, I've had units that I've run back to a general who's in a secure position in complete cover. And that unit sits there at zero morale for the rest of the game. Like just, it's just busted. And maybe that's supposed to, maybe that's like a historically accurate thing. They've lost X percent of their force or something, or they were originally attached to a leader who got killed. Maybe there's something going on. I don't know about mostly it looked like they were busted, but the generals are supposed to do that. Units will route uh, from time to time. It's very rare that they actually just run right off the map, but they will do it. Which um, is cool. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but there are times I've definitely had units where it's just like they stop recharging, and that doesn't seem like it's supposed to happen. Um, although, to that point, regarding like units like breaking and running and having them... I, I tend to have little assembly areas behind the battlefield where I'm sort of like having units rest up and getting prepared to be recommitted to the fight. Um, one thing this, this game gets is that it sort of illustrates why it was so hard to ever achieve a truly decisive result in the civil war. Like you look at the history of the civil war and there's, you know, every, you know, if you have a book with all the battles in it and everything, like so many of them are decisive in one way or another, or they're, you know, they're, they're a crushing victory for one side, usually the Confederacy. But if you look at the casualties, casualties tended to be appalling for both sides. You know, like it was like who lost 30% more. Uh, that That's the difference between victory and defeat. And then nobody ever succeeds really in completely destroying the other guy's army. And I think one thing this game gets is that even when you've just kicked the crap out of the enemy unit, there's this obnoxious resilience that they have where they'll run, they'll break, and they'll go and retreat. And then, you know, a couple hours later, they're fighting you again. And you can't, it's really hard in this game to completely shatter the enemy, uh, as it should be. But it kind of, it, it's another thing that sort of brings to life, right? This idea where it feels like you should be able to not deliver the knockout punch, but you just can't. And a lot of times you'll end up destroying yourself if you try. I mean, just following up an advantage, even in a single battle, because of the terrain, because things are in the wrong place. There's a, I've lost so many units that I start, you know, second guessing myself. So I can see myself as a union general, not entirely confident in my abilities. Um, remembering how the last three engagements went, saying, well, I may have an advantage now, but, you know, why don't I chase Lee? Why don't they chase Lee after Gettysburg? Because I'm pretty beaten up and I'm not sure I can do that again. Right. Uh, so, you know, I'm not going to pursue. I'm just going to sit back and lick my wounds and wait. Um, and, I mean, on a strategic level, I think that was a big issue in uh, the Civil War until, you know, Grant and Sherman just say, burn the whole damn thing down, which is that, which is one way of doing it. Uh, but even on the tactical level, just the doubts of fragility and the question of how much more can I ask and what else is over that ridge – 
And I just love how, I mean, I'm, I'm so glad you're playing this with your son, Julian, because it is such a fascinating part of history. And it's just so simple to play that all of these questions and these experiences just come automatically to you. You can stop and think about the battle and think about the larger tactical questions without getting bogged down in, you know, war in the East type or even unity of command type. Okay, where's the next supply path I have to control? Oh my God, what am I thinking about? Because it's all so obvious and in your face uh, that you can dwell on and obsess about, as we tend to, um, what makes Gettysburg a fascinating battlefield and a fascinating battle. Um, and the, the lack of a UI is, is really a great asset here. Though I would love more information, as you guys say, about you know, line of command and what, is the, what are the morale effects. There's got to be something they can do there. But I don't know. Like, you know, it's, but, but this is one adding, of those things. It's Yeah, more complexity. So just, just, just add, add colors, add a rising, sinking flag. I don't know. There's got to be little, little, little arrows, little Reddit arrows going up when you're beside somebody increasing your morale. <laughs> That'd be, yeah. Uh, I don't um, know. I mean, they, they do. I, I love, one of the things I loved so much about this is that when a unit's running away, you can't even select it anymore, which I thought yeah. was just such a lovely touch. So it's like, you want to know how badly that unit's beaten up and whether or not their condition's really eroded. I mean, you know the morale zero because they're running, but you want to you want to like follow them? Forget it. Like they don't exist for you until they can get their crap together and stand, which I the think is really are, cool. The routes are really dramatic. Everything turns white and they just hightail it. And yeah. I love having like twenty five hundred Tennessee guys marching towards me, and then I just pummel them in a cavalcade of fire. They say fuck it, and they run. Well. Some of this game does really well too. Um, while artillery can be a little fussy to use, man, does it bring out the difference between like long range solid shot, intermediate range shell fire, and then oh my god, is canister fire awesome? Yeah, it's, oh, yeah. you get those guys positioned in the trees, like at the bottom of a hill. It's just yeah, it's all over, and uh, and they hold. Like that's the cool thing is like those guys know it. Right. So you put like, you know, there's only what, 60 guys in the cannon regiment and they'll sit there with a thousand guys coming down a hill at them and, you know, they'll get into bayonet range and they'll just be like, boom, 75 guys die. Boom, well, 75 guys die. And they just don't they hold. They know they have the well, advantage. Yeah. And this is this is what this game gets is it has this idea of like this is all about conservation of will. Right. Like this is what yeah. Civil War battle is about. And like yeah. it's not about it's not about paper strength. Like those if those guys just keep running at the cannon, they will eventually storm it. The cannon can only fire a few times, then it's out, and they won't have time to reload if they just keep charging. But running into but once they shot. You once you see yeah. the sixty guys in front of you fall as one. Yeah. Yeah, and, and it's got little counters above every brigade. And so yeah. you just see these numbers just plummet. Like, yeah. you know, at the start of this fight, that Confederate brigade is 2,200 men. And suddenly, like, you know, like within two like two minutes under canister fire, it's dropped down to like 1,600, and they're just done. They're, they're, it's over. Super cool. But, so my question is, um, you know, turning like putting this in a broader context then of like Civil War games. Let's, let's say, let, let's talk about like other... Um, Gettysburg games, right? We have Scourge of War Gettysburg and um, Sid Meier's Gettysburg, you know, to compare it to. Um, you know, do you, like, where, where, where does this stack up? Is it just the good intro-level war game? Uh, do, do you find this does a better job in particular respects or a worse job in, in certain respects than, than these other games? I think it's the new Sid Meier's Gettysburg. Um, I mean, Sid Meier's Gettysburg, one of the things, we, we talked about it on the podcast last year, 
with um, Nick Brecken. With Nick. And we talked about it in quite glowing terms because we should, it's a great game. Um, but it never had like the full battle. You were controlling like, small little units at a time, uh, which was wonderful. And then it played out in this nice little fictional battle. And that's wonderful. And that's all great and awesome. Samurai Arcade was a great game. This, I think, is better uh, in some ways because it gives you a larger scale, does let you play the whole battle, but also gives you these fictional branching points that uh, Sid Meier did. And has many of the same lessons of Sid Meier's Gettysburg. I mean, I'm like I say, war games have lessons, and it's the same lessons about you know morale, willpower, and uh, the importance of geography. Right. Such a great map. And those are the lessons of Sid Meier's Gettysburg, and those are the lessons of Ultimate General uh, Gettysburg. Uh, but you know, Sid Meier's Gettysburg, you really can't play it easily uh, anymore without DOSBox doing something stupid. Oh, I need to try DOSBox. Yeah. And this, so you can play this. Um, and But this also, I think, has, because of the advances uh, in, you know, computer AI and computer memory, it offers a lot of new and original challenges, um, even as you know where to expect the attack vectors from the Confederates, because, you know, I'm, I always play Union until I win with the Union, and then I'll switch to Confederates. I still have not won uh, as the Union. Uh, it has all of the great things about Samurai's Gettysburg, except, you know, as Rob mentioned, all the obviousness of what exactly is going on, because there's one thing Meyer was always good at, is explaining what is affecting what. Um, this doesn't have all of that. But I, I really think this is the new Sid Meier's Gettysburg. I mean, it's not Scourge of War, because it's, Scourge of War is all about something else altogether. It really is about, you know, the ch 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 chain of command and first person and all of these other great, wonderful experiences. But as far as a strategic tactical level, this has to be, I think, probably the best Gettysburg game probably in, God, probably since Sid Meier's Gettysburg. What, what, what else has there been? I mean, there's well, uh, we probably an we, we HPS game, a Talonsoft game, but... We did a whole show on Scourge of War, right? Like two or three years yeah. ago. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and I believe that's the one I was on when we were talking about that, too. And in some ways, everything that I love about this game is all the problems I had with Scourge of War. Um, in terms of okay, but but the flip side is all of the stuff that Robin are saying. But if only they did this, is all in Scourge of War, like formation control and like really detailed stats about this commander reporting to that commander, and 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 the stuff that it does with how information shows up on the battlefield is super interesting and cool. And none of that gets to the core of what's really interesting about Gettysburg as a strategy playground, which is really just this issue of positioning and reinforcement. I mean, I really think immoral. Like, though, that's really what's interesting about the battle. Um, and so I appreciate Scourge of War for what it was doing, but I found it frustrating because in many ways doing this stuff was more difficult. Like just actually getting your units in the right place at the right time. But I think this would also be part of the Ultimate General Gettysburg, probably the, one of the best multiplayer war games I can imagine. I really hope they find a way to get multiplayer in this, because this would be a freaking amazing way to spend a weekend. Yeah, and yeah. the battle length is great, right? To be able to do like a little half-hour skirmish and then move on, that'd be awesome. Well, and there's something else I think that's really interesting that's that's going on with this game, and, and that is that just in terms... It's, it's very hard to tell the story of an entire battle in this point in history, right? Because the battles are huge. They, they, you know, they, they sp the battlefields sprawl. There's so many guys involved in it. And the approach adopted by Scourge of War and to an extent Sid Meier's Gettysburg is to 
locate you in a certain position within the battle usually you know you are uh, which is why i think scourge of war really sang with the first day's engagements because that really is a small unit action with like individual commanders kind of like they don't know what they're looking what you're what they're heading into they don't exactly know what's behind them or in front of them and they just have to feel it out and that gets really interesting scourge of war i started to feel got a little dull as the scenario progressed and suddenly it's you know day two day three and the orders are you know if you're union just look, hold this patch of ground, kill everything that comes after it. And if you're Confederate, <laughs> yeah, right. it's like, hey, just feed your guys in, and hey, maybe at the end you'll be in charge. You'll have a flag on that hill. Maybe you won't. Right. Who knows? Well, so yeah, less so interesting. It's the most interesting shtick stops being interesting in day two, which I think is fair. Yeah, that's a, that's a problem with with a, a lot of there. Are, there aren't that many battles historically, right? That are these like perfect meeting engagements, uh, the way Gettysburg is on the first day, but. Because this thing can sort of take in most of the battle at a glance and let you control it really easily, you end up getting at why that battle's interesting on day two, on day three. And I, it kind of makes me excited because it makes me think about what other stuff this, you know, this, this game system could cover, right? Like Napoleonics or even other Civil War battlefields where... You know, if you were to break it into a series of discrete scenarios, some of those scenarios would be winners. Some really wouldn't. It would just be, you know, guys holding the line of battle. But because this is so clever about the way it sort of compresses distance, simplifies, you know, the command and control issues, uh, it really does a fantastic job of getting at why these battles as a whole, not these little, like, separate engagements like the wheat field and the, you know, the angle, why all this stuff is interesting. It it tells the broader battle, uh, the, the broader battle story. And I think that's, that's pretty novel to me. I, even Sid, even since Sid, Sid Meier's Gettysburg didn't really pull that off. And this one does. Well, I think one of the advantages of Gettysburg for that sort of thing is because it does take place over three days. I mean, the first day is interesting because that's where the second day comes out of that. And the third day comes out of that. And Lee and Meade are making their decisions based on that first encounter. And everything comes after that. But something like, you know, Fredericksburg, that's just a day of slaughter. There aren't a lot of decision right. points besides do, right. I mar- do, I, do, I, do I march toward the walls or not? Hmm, I think I'll just sit here for a bit. I mean, that's really a big decision point. Um, but, you know, uh, you know, even Waterloo, you have Capture Bra, and then you just have a bunch of guys banging into each other. Gettysburg, because it's a three-day 19th century battle, offers these... Okay, we've just finished 12 hours. What's your next step? Finished, you know, 12 hours or eight hours. What's your next step? It offers these points you can intercede that give you enough different feeding points. Uh, having a decision point, like after after two hours of fighting in Waterloo, is very different from, okay, we're halfway through day one. Here's what things look like. Here's your decision. Um, so Gettysburg is, in many ways, the perfect battle for this system. Now, that worked pretty well in Gettysburg, uh, Sid Meier's Gettysburg, kind of as well, except, as you say, he doesn't give you the full scope of the battle. So you're told you're doing this in this place, and you're, he justifies it to you, but you can't see the rest of the battle around you. You don't necessarily see everything leading up to that. Your decisions brought you there, but you're not quite sure why he's putting you here at this point at this time. Ultimate General Gettysburg, the story that evolves over those three days, is the battle you created. So even your craptastic, let's march perpendicular up the ridges because I suck on day three, <laughs> Rob, uh, that's, that's, that's on you. And that's kind of a good thing. And this is the battle that evolved out of your mastery of tactics. <laughs> 
Yes, it did. Did it ever. Um, you know, I also want to comment just a little bit on the AI because, well, I mean, what are, what are your guys' impressions of the AI in this game? It's kind of hard to tell um, because, especially in the early days, which we probably played, probably both rest- all three of us probably restarted the game more than we finished it. Uh, so I've seen a lot of the day one and early day two AIs, where a lot of it is scripted movement, uh, scripted reinforcements. So you're not quite sure if it's moving in the right place or not. Um, it can, it does relatively smart things, but it's also easy to trick. It's very easy to fool. Uh, I've learned, for example, my day one move is to send my cavalry all the way around the Confederate lines and harass their artillery which you can do quite effectively, and you can move, and you can hit and run. The artillery has to keep moving. To protect the artillery, they have to call back a brigade or two to chase off my cavalry, uh, which, of course, weakens their attack and allows me to push forward and make sure they don't they never really get an advantage. This is the sort of thing, now this is partly, maybe this is something Meade should have thought of, because the Confederates have no cavalry, because uh, Jeb Stewart's off being a hero. Uh, so we have... Uh, and, but that's the sort of thing that NAI would have a skirmishing unit, should, have a, should see that, and put a skirmishing unit there to chase my guys off. That's the smart response. Uh, it doesn't do that. It never does that. The skirmishing units go back to Harris Hill, and they stay there, and they're the fast-moving units, not the brigades. Don't send a brigade back to stop my cavalry. Um, so it doesn't necessarily use the skirmishers properly. Uh, I think that's something it has to work on. Um, and it's easy to distract. It responds to false threats <laughs> uh, over heavily. Uh, but other than that, uh, it, it, tends, it, it marches strong. It can collect its guys in a column. I don't have a whole lot of complaints. Julian? Yeah, it seemed, it seemed like it's made smart choices for the most part. Um, I haven't tried to deliberately break it with anything um, quite like that in the in the battle. I was that was sort of imaginary. That was strategery. That wasn't breaking. That wasn't trolling. That was strategery. Strategery in the sort of imaginary battle it had me uh, try to do off way off to the west, you know, way west of the historical Gettysburg, um, where I was doing this sort of odd, you know, counterattack up the backside of these hills. you know, I tried to do something sort of similar where I ran all of my guys through the woods sort of up to a point where I didn't think that they would actually have line of sight and then sort of spring the uh, spring the attack on them when they weren't expecting it. Um, and it, it, it failed miserably. And I don't think it failed miserably because it was the dumbest idea ever. I mean, I had six to one uh, force odds on it and I was coming out of cover and the second their uh, the the sort of one unit of a thousand troops turned and faced me down the backside of this hill, all my guys ran, and it was it was one of these little odd things. So whether that's the AI sort of having superpowers, or whether that's sort of hiccups in the morale system, I'm not sure. And it's really tough, like you said, Troy. It's tough to tease out what's the AI and what's the underlying systems. I think. Um, yeah, I would definitely agree that the AI can be a little too easy to kite. Uh, it's definitely prone to that a little bit. Um, and sometimes it just seems to be unable to, well, like any AI, right? It, it will it will gladly suffer death by a thousand cuts um, rather than just sort of cut its losses and, and take a new position. Like, as Confederates, I had this one uh, oh, glorious, glorious battle on the toward the end of the first day where I managed to basically break the Union position at Culp's Hill and at Cemetery Ridge simultaneously. So they were caught in the depression behind 
Culp's Hell and Cemetery Hill, and my units were just like, murdering them. It was just this like blue ball, just getting like just churned up by Confederates, and it was awesome. Uh, but it was also like, holy shit, just get those guys out of there. Like this is like this is not working. You need to just leave. Uh, but but it wouldn't, and so it turned you know a defeat into a complete disaster. Things that have impressed me though is just like. Uh, in a different denouement of the Battle of Gettysburg as the Union, uh, where things had gone a little bit better for me, but still not um, awesomely, um, I was sort of given the assignment on the last day to try and break the Confederate position. Uh, but then I was warned, hey, but they might also counterattack somewhere else too. And so what ended up happening, um, I launched this attack from the Union left down the round tops and move out, and I turned their flank. And the AI really cleverly does two things. It starts pulling units all the way from one end of the line and starts marching them down behind its own line to, like, extend its own flank. So it does this clever, like, reallocation of resources. You don't see the entire army sort of spinning around, like, trying to figure out what's going on. It's actually pulling units that are now from an unengaged flank and recommitting them elsewhere, which I I was actually really impressed by. Uh, And then it attacked with its center. So Pickett's Charge is happening simultaneously with this Union attack, and the entire battle takes on this character of a revolving door. Um, and it was it was just really cool to see, and it was it was it was kind of surprising that the AI like had its shit together enough to to do something like that. Um, that, that is was, cool. That was really pleasing to see. So I mean, it's you know it's it's definitely it's definitely good enough. Um, and uh, I think like like you tried really like to see it in multiplayer, but it, it does it does nail the basics that you want from an AI opponent. It it, it responds in force to things. It you know commits to to what it wants to do. Um, which is really nice. And the nice thing about Gettysburg is the scenarios themselves have enough structure that the AI doesn't necessarily have to be a genius, right? Like once Confederate reinforcements come from the Union flank, all they kind of have to do is march forward and you have a problem you have to deal with. And the tactics are relatively simple. You know, you line the guys up and you try to get uh, advantage of firepower. I mean, this revolving door scenario you talk about, Rob, is just so perfect uh, analogy because it does because the battles really do feel like there's slow progress slow momentum and there's, a, there's a flow to them and you can see the flow in these blue and gray lines uh which is really kind of beautiful and poetic in a sad and murderous kind of way and you can actually and, and it does capture it looks like those ken burns civil war war game maps with the lines uh, moving around, with, of course, the big sweeping arrows as well. And I really love that type of aesthetic, and I'm sure that wasn't all intentional here, but because of the way the battles do move so smoothly, and you can see units about to break, and units moving forward, and units taking advantage, and everything moving in column or in line, that the, the murderous poetry of war is kind of captured in this, in the the rich, deep colors and the elegant movement and animations. I mean, the animations are pretty cheap-ass when you look at them up close. You don't look at them up close. You look at the great lines um, and the great tingle and twinkle of them as they march and as they stop. And So there's a, there's a great aesthetic feel to even the worst defeat. So as we wind it down here, um, here's, here's a little... Q and A for you all. Um, for the like, I'm assuming this game's going to be even better when it leaves e- early access. I'd say, like, if if you're interested right now, go ahead and get it because for ten dollars, I feel like I robbed a bank. 
Oh yeah, easy. This is the best. This yeah, is absolutely. the best ten dollars. Yeah. Yeah. But let's say the Ultimate General series continues on. Uh, any battle, any battle. What would you like to see? Where Where do you want to see it go? I want to stay in the Civil War because they've they've proven they can do that. So I gotta say Ch- Chancellorsville. I think Chancellorsville is just a kind of hellhole. Uh, that uh, it'd be fun, kind of fun to see how this engine works. That, or I mean, not Shiloh because that's just damn sad. But I think Chancellorsville uh, has just as a lot of movement. It's got once again an interesting terrain. You've got some neat forests to work with, some amazing generals, uh, and uh, the Union kind of in a bit of a bind. So I think Chancellorsville is what I want to say. I, you know, if they get the terrain really working right, Antietam. I think would be interesting, right? Because, you know, working in and around the water and all that stuff would be, I, I think, more interesting. You know, again, not quite the the sort of awesome, interesting structural stuff you've got going on with the, you know, movements of units, et cetera. I mean, it's a lot more just bang, bang, bang. But um, I think that would be interesting if they get the terrain right. Oh, yeah. And they have, they have bridges at Antietam. The bridges yeah. alone would make for a really fun, Yeah, that's what I challenge. mean. It's like that that part, I think, could be kind of interesting. A lot of people dying yeah. in the water, I, I predict. So actually, for me, I think I was actually thinking I would actually like to see a Shiloh game try. Um, such a killer. Well, no, because w- what I like about Shiloh is you have some of the same things you've got at Gettysburg, which is basically a profound cluelessness on both sides. As to what they're stepping into, and that that lends a lot of volatility to the opening of that engagement. Right? There's a lot of different ways that thing can play out, Um, and so I kind of would be interested to see where that branching structure could take their take on Shiloh. Uh, I think that could be really cool, and it is a multi-day battle. Now, admittedly, it's basically fizzling out uh, the second day, but you definitely see alternate scenarios where, like, you know, the Union are kind of pressed back into their bridgehead. And uh, you know, on the cusp of annihilation, I would I would really dig that. Uh, but I, I agree that like the next one, more civil war would be awesome. Uh, I do kind of like rub my hands with glee. Like you know, what if? Oh my god, what if like Ultimate General Leipzig, like you know, the the biggest pre World War <laughs> battle in history? Like yeah. everybody in Europe is there for one last showdown. <laughs> Come on, yes, it's the Battle of Five Armies, right? <laughs> Pretty much. That's that's what I'm saying. Uh, but anyway, it, 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 it was with the, the Lollapazoo, the Lollapazula of European military power. Lollap, whatever. It's one of those. I'm so here. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah, I, I think some Napoleonic stuff might be interesting. Um, it's we haven't had a really good Waterloo or Leipzig or Austerlitz game in. God, how long has it been, Rob? Well, I know you're, I depends, know on, depends on when you define last time we had a good one. Like the last, <laughs> the la- like John Tiller's games, the Battleground series uh, w- was pretty popular uh, with those, and uh, the John Tiller series has not really changed much since then. Um, but I know those were those were really well regarded from Talonsoft. Uh, but yeah, I don't think there've been. Well, there was one based on the Sid Meier system. Yes, uh, I think it was just hell. called. I think it was just called Waterloo. Yeah, yeah. Uh, or was it Austerlitz? I mean, it might have been Austerlitz. 
but, it was, but anyway. But either way, yeah, it, it weird. It, weirdly, not a lot of great games uh, on a tactical level about that. You got like all these games about like managing the Napoleonic Empire, but not a ton about like you know Battlefield Command. Of course, Scourge of War is heading over into Napoleonics too. Right. Uh, so I think it would be like ideal if the Scourge of War series was doing that really high level war gaming stuff with all these great battles and like ultimate generals sort of cruising along doing the you know fun ar- army commander arcade. I, I'm trying to it. imagine Scourge of war's version of what it's like to play napoleon in leipzig like the all the command and control stuff gets pretty irrelevant when you're like where you can touch <laughs> all of the commanders and all around you yeah it, it does and uh well napoleon i guess has an easy job right because he's one side he's not fighting a cold he's not fighting with a coalition it's just like right. whatever's left I mean, to, be, to be fair like playing as the coalition figuring out how to get the surrounding working right i can see the whole like guys on horseback thing carrying the messages around being kind of interesting you could even do a fun you could even make it a language teaching tool <laughs> as you try to like <laughs> do you, is your german good enough to get the prussians to commit their center here um <laughs> But yeah, anyway, uh, so that's kind of my dream outcome for for how I how I see these series going and how I see this series going. But uh, I am, you know, the, talk about a game that I was a little skeptical of, just because you know it was coming from sort of this this modder background. And if you follow this, the history of Total War mods, it's a contentious community, and Darth Darth Mod was always kind of an outspoken character in there. Um, and boy, um, my doubts are pretty well silenced. Like I absolutely adored this, and. Um, I have played, I think, both sides a few times through, and I'm not done. Like, at this point, I'm just running Gettysburg again and again <laughs> and again. And it'll, it'll keep being updated. I'm not sure if they have a target for when it's supposed to be completed, but, you know, the, the patch notes and the updates are great. I recommend people go, up on, go on Steam and read them and read the community forums. There's a lot of good discussion there regarding what could be fixed and whatnot. But for $10, it's a really good... We don't we don't like to grade things based on how they're priced generally on this show, but hey, for ten dollars, it's a really good use of your ten dollars. All right, well that will do it for us this week. Uh, thank you so much for hanging out with uh, hanging out with uh, all of us on a Saturday, Julian and Troy. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Next time we have Bruce. Absolutely, I'm I, I'm really. I'm really bummed we couldn't get his impressions, but uh, I'm sure we'll be able to convince him to hold forth at a later date. Um, And as always, our thanks to Michael Hermes for putting this episode together. Uh, And until next week, this has been Three Moves Ahead. Good night. Night all. Good night.